Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. She had the most intense stare and the most steely blue eyes. And she looked at me and she said, but Mike, what I want my legacy to be is to beat this disease and I need your help. And I was stunned and she looked at me and then immediately she followed up with, will you help me? And there is no way that anybody in that situation is not going to look her right back directly in the eyes and say, yes, I will help. I will do everything I can. And as a result, the Pat Summit Foundation came to East Tennessee Foundation. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm here with my colleague, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West, recording today from the downtown Knoxville offices of East Tennessee Foundation. And I love being here, just down the street from the Fletcher PR offices, and I feel like I'm kind of back home in a way. Yes, you served on the board of East Tennessee Foundation, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And it stands as one of the best experiences I've had, both personally and professionally, in working with a philanthropic organization, but just because of the scope of the work that they do, the people here are just great. And the reputation is yeah. stellar. Yeah. So we're certainly going to find out why in a minute. Our topic today is the power of strategic charitable giving. And when it comes to that topic, there may be no stronger thought leader than East Tennessee Foundation, which is also known as ETF. Right. ETF is a nonprofit community foundation. Our guest today will be talking about what that means in just a few minutes. But at a high level, ETF, the the thing that they do, they manage and invest charitable funds established by, you know, it could be individuals, could be families, businesses, other nonprofit organizations. So they put that money to work in the communities. Yes. And I've been here several times for client meetings over the years. And the big headline is it's phenomenal growth. Oh, yeah. Yes. ETF has grown its asset base of charitable funds under management from about 625k when it got started right, about right. 30 years ago to now some 450 million dollars under management. I mean, it's just astounding. It's an astounding growth trajectory for, a, especially for a community foundation. I know. I did a double take when I saw that number. Yeah, I almost did a spit take. <laughs> But now that we're full on into holiday season, it is really a good time of thinking about how we can be giving to others in, you know, in an effective way. And, you know, just an ideal time to think about giving with purpose, you know, whether it's at an individual level or family level, corporate level, certainly in the business that we're in, you know, trying to help companies be able to be just um, very engage in thoughtful giving, I guess. Yes. And PR, that is really a lot of what we do. Right. So we try to help our clients focus their charitable giving in a way that will build their community and public relationships, but Mm -hmm. also even looking to the bottom line of how philanthropy and business work together. So it's particularly strategic when companies can integrate their donations to nonprofits with a real focus on a core philanthropy. A couple examples of ones that we've worked on, Jewelry Television. We we brokered a partnership with the American Heart Association because heart disease is the number one killer of women. So Mm -hmm. it made a lot of sense. And that's been a very successful partnership over the years. And then also Roland in Los Angeles, the musical instrument company. You always see the keyboards with the Roland logo. We worked with them on a partnership 
with Girl Scouts of America to mm -hmm. um, help draw attention to the fact that music education is so important in development and then partnering with Best Buy to give those girls free music lessons. Well, so. and, it's, and it's in the partnering and the brokering of those partnerships that I think the power of what we do as an agency and what public relations firms in general can do just to help companies be successful. I mean, one of the best ways for companies to unlock, I think, the power of strategic charitable giving is to partner with a third-party philanthropic organization and one with, you know, that has a long track record of credibility and accomplishment. Tied yeah, to that. There's a lot yeah. that goes into that. I'm not sure people realize how much thought and contemplation goes into which are the right partnerships. That's why our visit today with East Tennessee Foundation is really timely because ETF is a huge source of guidance to companies yeah. and individuals about how to take a thoughtful, well-planned approach to their charitable giving. And not just during the holiday season or later in the coming year during tax season, but the whole year. Yeah, right. I think that's exactly right because philanthropy you know, just in my experience over the years, it may be one of the most underutilized and underestimated tools in public relations that build really authentic bridges to diverse communities. And I think that today's chat is going to help all of us understand that process a lot better from a real source of expertise. Absolutely. I agree. Our guest today, Mike McClamrock, has served as president and chief executive of ETF for 18 years. Mike has a legal background, which has certainly helped ensure ETF's technical success. Yeah. But I mean, in addition to that, of course, that technical success has been a really big part of it. But the thing about Mike is he has such a collaborative management style and an approach to building relationships that have been, at least in my view, and having seen his work over the years, it's the most central part of you know, the value that he brings to ETF and just the culture here and the larger team success. I've served on his board this past decade over two separate terms. Mike helped me learn so much about doing charitable giving the right way. And I hesitate to say that there's a wrong way to do charitable giving. But well, but there is a smart, effective way to go about it in right. a way that's truly strategic. Yeah, without question. So to me, it's the difference between just writing a check and being done with it versus being truly knowledgeable and purposeful about where you want to invest those dollars for real and measurable impact. And that's what Mike and his team do so well. They promote philanthropy in general out in the community. I mean, you see them a lot out at community events and really engaging with local level community organizations. But then they also help individuals and families and corporations engage in it with purpose and just achieving that permanent impact through particularly endowment level giving. So let's get the conversation started. Mike, welcome to Ms. Interpreted. It's good to be here. Well, Thanks thank for having you. me. And congratulations. We just found out that you won the Association of Fundraising Professional Legacy Award recently. Yeah, that's wonderful. National Philanthropy Day, and you're only the third recipient. So yeah. congratulations. It is, it's a big honor for our whole organization. And while I get to hold it in my hands, it really is a reflection of our whole team's work. So Very I, was, true. I was proud to be there. Well, Tell us a little bit more about yourself. You know, what drove your decision 18 years ago to invest your career here with ETF? Well, I don't know if you know this, but I am technically a recovering lawyer. I did know that. Uh, so yeah. I practiced law for a number of years and I liked it, but practicing law or the law that I did was sort of always a means to an end. The, the real joy that I found was working on habitat houses on Saturdays, almost every mm -hmm. Saturday, sometimes in the United States, sometimes in Latin America. 
And I began to think there has to be a better way to merge what you're passionate about with your vocation. Mm -hmm. And that would tumble over and over in my head and kind of in my heart for a long, long time. And in that process, there were all kinds of things going on personally in in my life. Um, We were expecting our son, who was a surprise and a a real uh, challenge pregnancy. Um, So it it was really very, very high risk. And so we had a nurse that lived with us 24 hours a day to sort of take care of him before he was born. And at the same time, my dad had uh, quintuple bypass surgery. And right in the middle of that, I got a phone call seemingly out of the blue, although in retrospect, I I think of it in a different way. And someone said, you know, we've been talking about the East Tennessee Foundation, Mike, and it it just seems like a good match for you. Would you consider talking to us about being our new president? And Kelly, I, I thought about it for a minute and I thought, well, I have reached the pinnacle of maturity. I am going to be able to just say no to them because <laughs> I, I need to focus on the things that yeah. are going on in my yeah. life. Those are my priorities. And so I said no. Mm. Um, Which I, made I, them and, want you even more. Well, yes. <laughs> made yourself it, scared. It, 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 and it was a strong, emphatic no because I really thought that that was the right thing to do. And uh, so I went home and I reported that to Kim, who was my wife then, and um, she had to lie on her left side Mm -hmm. for hours a day. So I went to that side of the room and I reported to her and she propped herself up on one elbow and she looked at me and she just looked at me and she said, why? And I was convicted right there because it was everything that I'd been thinking about and talking about and praying about. It it was that mix of what I could be passionate about and also a vocation. And, um, you know, God is a God of second chances. And I got to call them back the next day and say, okay, I have misspoken. Serendipity. <laughs> I would yeah. like to talk to you about that. And then the conversation went from there. And, uh, you know, there were a lot, of, I had a lot of good counseling or good counselors in my life. My father, who recovered from heart surgery, thought I was absolutely crazy to consider oh. that because it was yeah. just so counterintuitive. But in my heart, I knew it was the right thing. And I knew it was something that I wanted to pursue. And thank God the foundation thought it was the right thing as well. And they they picked me. Well, clearly so, it was meant yeah. to be. Yeah, it was. Well, my, well, first of all, on my own behalf, thanks again for the opportunity that I had to serve on your board um, over the past decade. It really meant a lot to me, and words can't express just how much I learned from that experience, especially not only from you, but also from your team here, certainly the board as well. You know, part of the focus of the Misinterpreted podcast is to dispel myths and misunderstandings about certain subject matter, things that are going on, in, whether it's in society or PR and marketing. And I remember over the years in working with you here at ETF, we talked a lot about public misunderstanding about what ETF does and like what the mission is and exactly how it works. And, 
you know, uh, charitable giving and community involvement are just such huge parts of PR for many companies. There's a big education task there, too. I mean, I think that we try to broker understanding about how powerful charitable giving and philanthropy can be at that level, too. It's far more than just writing a check and kind of being done with it. So one cornerstone question to this chat that I wanted to ask you is, first of all, what exactly is a community foundation? Because I think that's a a real awareness foundational element for the community to know about and for really all of our listeners who live in communities that have community foundations to understand what they do. Well, I think, Mary Beth, with that question, you've really put your finger on one of our largest PR challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, A community foundation's mission is so broad and so deep that it really is often very difficult to explain, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to do my best. Yes, please do. We are a collection of charitable funds, and all of those charitable funds have a distinct charitable purpose. Mm -hmm. So we receive assets, we invest those assets, and then we make grants from those assets to all sorts of different nonprofits that are out in our region doing the work so that at the end of the day, we are providing resources for charitable organizations to change lives and make life better in East Tennessee. And and that's kind of what it is in, in its essence, right. but there are lots of moving parts and a lot of expertise that goes into that formula. Right. And it's a real challenge sometimes to be able to explain that to folks. So, Mike, what is what is the biggest myth or misunderstanding that you think you and your team deal with in terms of public perception? If someone doesn't get what a community foundation is, is there a, a perception that they have? Often they think that we're a nonprofit and we operate programs. Mm. Okay. Um, so that that's one of the biggest things that um, we find as, as a misunderstanding. We don't operate the programs, but we support the organizations that do operate the program. So we don't have a particular area of expertise in housing. We don't have a particular area of expertise in, for example, running food banks or arts or education. Um, but we do um, have the area of expertise in gathering up resources and making intentional, purposeful grants to support the work that that our partners do in the region. Great. So, you know, we hear so many conversations these days about relevance. Where is philanthropy when it comes to relevance in society today? Well, Kelly, I have a a really strong opinion Mm -hmm. about that, and I'm 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 glad that you asked that question. But we're at a time now in our society when lots of the organizations and lots of the institutions on which we traditionally would rely really have made themselves irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And I think government is a big one. Um, Our government nationally seems to be paralyzed. In, In fact, it's it's probably even there, there's even a, a more negative interpretation. It's not just paralyzed, but it's polarizing. Right. Um, same thing at the state level. So, national institutions, when that that we all learned to rely on as we were growing up, 
are largely in a lot of ways non-functional right now, well, the need is still there. People still need to be housed. They need to be clothed. They need to be educated. Uh, they need to be exposed to, to fine arts. Those needs are still there and they're more acute than ever. And that's the role of philanthropy is to address those needs in a way that sidesteps or steps over institutions that, that are fumbling and are not very functional right now. So in my view, philanthropy is more relevant now than it has ever been, mm -hmm. certainly in my lifetime and possibly in our history. Wow. That's, that's, a, so that's a big strategic insight, I think, about philanthropic organizations serving a truly strategic role in communities and in society. And I, I think that it would seem that that would be a very exciting career path for people to pursue. I think it is the perfect career path for somebody whose primary motivation is to make a real difference. Mm -hmm. Service. Uh, because yeah. it is a direct path. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is where someone can sort of think with their head and feel with their heart mm -hmm. and then act and accomplish both at the same time. And that's kind of the way I think of my role at East Tennessee yeah. Foundation. And that's a perfect summary, I think, too, of what the public relations profession is about because we serve in that kind of capacity in so many ways. It's about looking at the business objectives of what a client is trying to achieve, but realizing that giving back to society and our being helping be brokers of those opportunities with the right partner, nonprofit organization, or whatever that might be. I just see so much confluence of what you just said with, in relevance too, to the public relations profession, I think. Absolutely. And now as brands are more cognizant of that they need to have yes. some sort of philanthropy or charitable arm. So Mike, if a company came to you today and said, we're celebrating a major milestone in our history, and would like to make a major gift to this or that cause here in East Tennessee. Can you help us? What's your process? What are the first couple steps you go through? Well, my answer is going to be you bet, because that's mm -hmm. what we do. Mm -hmm. So we would sit down with them and we would talk about the this or that, the things that they are interested in. Where might philanthropy intersect with the, the work of that business. Then we have areas of expertise. At any given time, we can tell you who is doing the best work in a particular area of philanthropy or in a particular area of charity in our region, and we could help them target that gift so that it makes the biggest difference for the, the most people. We also, sort of on the back end of that, and sometimes on the front end, we'll figure out what measures need to be in place, what process needs to be in place so that they can measure the impact of oh, that gift. I think more and more that has to be part of that philanthropic equation, and we do that at mm -hmm. East Tennessee Foundation. Yeah, the mm -hmm. measurement part is essential. I mean, it's yeah. not about getting your name on a flyer or a poster. I mean, there have got to be real yeah, metrics. Yeah, it's real we, relationship building within the community. So, I mean, I think that from a strategic charitable giving standpoint and what that could mean to a company with respect to its brand reputation and its being known as a true community contributor, there are a lot of 
aspects to that to you know have that come together in the right way. And yes. there's, tell me, Mike, what what are some of the? I'm sure you work with a lot of companies and also families and individuals. They have their heart in the right place. They want to do the right thing, but what kind of mistakes do you often see well-meaning? companies or individuals make in the process of approaching philanthropy? Like things like missed opportunities or it could be a technical mistake. What are some of those things? Sure. I, I think there are some, some common mistakes that all of us make. Number one is n- not committing the time and effort to philanthropy that they might commit to something else. Mm-hmm. So, so the old model might be that all those requests are handed over to the CEO and then the CEO is left with the challenge of who do we give to? We have limited resources, what gifts to make? And in a lot of ways, uh, the CEO would give to things that might be strategic for the business. The new model is different and the new model is really exciting because I think CEOs now recognize that they're in the position of being able to make those charitable gifts because of the hard work of their employees Mm -hmm. and that all of their employees have causes, have things that they are involved in in their free time or things that they are passionate about, and they might want to have a say in the Mm -hmm. direction of those charitable gifts. Mm -hmm. So we offer a way for companies to involve their employees Uh, For example, to serve as a grants panel and to pick those organizations that best match what the company might be involved Mm -hmm. in, but certainly best match what the employees might be involved in or passionate about. Mm -hmm. And it's a much better model because there's lots of accountability built into that model at every level. Those employees might be volunteering their time at those different charities, and they're going to know whether that grant is well spent and is a good investment or not. So we encourage that, and we are seeing more companies avail themselves of that service that we provide and that opportunity to make purposeful, intentional grants that convey a message for the company, but also honor their employees' Uh, who are responsible for them being in the position of being able to give back. Yeah. And we often remind our clients that among all of their stakeholder groups, really their employees are probably their most important stakeholder group because that's the front face of the brand. It's the front face of the company in every context. In in tight labor markets, you want to engage your employee base. So I think your points are so well taken on that. One of the most compelling ideas that ETF has promoted in recent years is a program called Give Where You Live. You all started that campaign some years ago because you help manage charitable funds in, I think, 25 East Tennessee counties. I mean, that's a pretty large area. And I think many families and companies want to impact positive philanthropy in the local community where they live and work and give where you live is that pathway for them to do that. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about that. Well, give where you live is, is a really terrific program. And it's our model that we use for our regional affiliates. And it's based on the premise Uh, that those closest to the community are those with the best knowledge and those who are probably best able to direct grants. So it's a model based on 
local philanthropy. So Give Where You Live is where a, a local affiliate of East Tennessee Foundation would do its own local fundraising and its own local grant making. And our belief is that those folks that live in that community are going to have the, the best knowledge and know more about which charities are doing the best work and changing the most lives. So it's based on that premise, but it allows those regional affiliates to use all the tools that East Tennessee Foundation has that are available to them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's shocking the difference that that can make. Right. For example, we can accept any asset of value and and turn that into philanthropy and, and turn that into grants that can change people's lives. And lots of charities and lots of communities are unable to do that on their own. Mm -hmm. So East Tennessee Foundation serves as the hub, and then each of those regional affiliates is a spoke. And the idea is that they're doing their local fundraising, they're giving, and they're doing that in their communities where those charities that receive those grants are going to be accountable to them. Um, Talk about we, relevance. I mean, it is model. absolutely relevant, and it's a very efficient model as right. well. Mm -hmm. So your communication team has done a great job with your website. It's it's very clear what you do. You list three key things. ETF receives contributions from donors. You manage and invest assets. And then you give well-placed grants and scholarships. And that sounds really simple, but I'm sure there's a lot more that goes into it than that. So tell us more about your staff and the kinds of important work they do to be sure your grant making is done right and also in accordance with national standards. Well, Kelly, each of those areas that that you pointed out, that advancement function, that receiving gifts, uh, that stewardship function, right. our investment, and then we call it program, but that's the grant-making function. We have teams organized around each of those core functions. Those teams work in concert together, but they have particular expertise in those particular areas. So let's start with advancement. Our advancement team uh, is led by a lawyer who works with professional advisors across the region to help donors or potential donors maximize the tax benefit of their gifts and then direct the gifts into the fund that best matches or uh, most closely achieves their philanthropic goals. Our investment team, we have an entire financial team that manages those assets, and they're charged with a really important task, and that's the good stewardship of about half a billion dollars, $500 yeah, million. Dollars. They're able to do that and benefit from economies of scale because the numbers are pretty large. They achieve a return on those investments, one that will make sure that that investment maintains its value against inflation, but provides enough for grant making. And our spending rate is about 4.5%. So that is a core function of the foundation that is really, really important. And then, and this part I think is probably what we're known for and probably the most fun, we get to make grants. Get to give away <laughs> it, the money. It, it is yeah. really yeah. exciting. But to do that right requires a lot of work, a lot of due diligence, and a lot of expertise. And we have a staff team organized around that. 
So they provide support for individual fund holders that might want to make grants, families that might want to make grants, corporations that might want to make grants out of their funds, but they also manage our competitive grants. And we have those set up in particular areas of interest, for example, education, youth at risk, arts. Uh, we have competitive grant cycles in those areas and our staff using uh, hundreds, uh, literally hundreds of volunteers uh, a year that serve on those grant panels. Uh, they go on site visits, they do the due diligence, they investigate, and then they make a recommendation on what organizations should receive those grants. So the foundation, all of those parts are vital, and it's vital that they all work together in, in concert. It's a true community partnership. It is. Yeah. I would like to turn the conversation a little bit to one of the funds that you've managed for some time that has a lot of name recognition because it's named for the late legendary coach, Pat Summit. One of our recent guests on Misinterpreted was Marshall Ramsey, who is an extended family member of my husband's. He's a renowned editorial cartoonist. I know you know Marshall. He donated his memorial illustration of Pat Summit to the foundation. Again, it's just one of the many scores of funds that you manage, but I wanted to just ask you about that one in particular, because I know that that's a name that a, a lot of our listeners know quite well with regard to the legacy of, of Coach Summit. And I, I wanted to just get your insights about what she meant to the and, and means today with, with regard to her memory and the memory of what she means to the East Tennessee Foundation and what it's meant to ETF to serve as a steward of such an important legacy fund. This one um, is really personal mm -hmm. for, for me, Mary Beth. I remember being invited out to Pat's house to meet with her. She had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but she was doing well. And we had a great conversation. And I sat at her kitchen table with her two Labrador retrievers at my feet. And she began to kind of tell her story about where she grew up and the things that she was proud of and the things that were important to her. And she leaned across the table and she said this to me. She said, Mike, I am really proud of what we've been able to accomplish at the University of Tennessee. She said, do you, do you know that 100% of my players achieved their degree? And I didn't know that. And I said, wow, you know, that is really an accomplishment. And think of the difference you've made yeah. in those young women's lives. And she leaned in closer and she looked at me. And I don't know if you remember or you've oh, ever oh, heard yes. this, mm -hmm. but she had the most intense stare mm -hmm. and the most steely blue eyes. And she looked at me and she said, but Mike, what I want my legacy to be is to beat this disease and I need your help. Wow. And I was stunned and she looked at me and then immediately she followed up with, will you help me? Wow. And there is no way that anybody yeah. in that situation is not going to look her right back directly in the eyes and say, yes. I will help. I will do everything I can. Mm -hmm. And as a result, 
the Pat Summit Foundation came to East Tennessee Foundation. We are their back office. Mm -hmm. uh, we do all those functions that we've mentioned earlier. And we've had to kind of transform. This is a fund that requires a different kind of work than any of our other funds. Uh, most of our other funds are not national or international in scope. Um, we've had to do certain business functions that we have never had to do before for other funds. For example, there are 38 states across the United States for which you have to apply for a sol solicitations permit in order to raise funds wow. in their state. Yeah. So some of our fundraising appeals with the Pat Summit Foundation are national. So we, we have... It's been a steep learning curve. Right. Um, we've had to do lots of things differently. It's our most high-profile fund by far, but it also is one of our most important, and we all work together. So there are two people whose primary objective is to advance uh, the Pat Summit Foundation and do that work, and we're really proud of the the Pat Summit Clinic at the University of Tennessee. And we're also proud of the grants that we make uh, in the area of caregiver support, in the area of education about Alzheimer's, and then also research for a cure. Mm -hmm. uh, we're really proud of that work. Mm -hmm. uh, its influence continues to grow across the country, and we are remaining true to our commitment to Pat to help this, her foundation, be her lasting legacy. That's such an inspiring story. It's, it's hard to go on after that. It's like we should just end <laughs> right, right there. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But we, you know, we do know that behind every great nonprofit or charitable foundation, there must be three things, a dedicated staff, a visionary board, and committed donors. And so without those three things, it's tough to realize an organization's full potential. You all are doing all three of those. Tell us about that trifecta and how it plays such an essential role for living the mission and vision of ETF in an authentic way. That trifecta is really, really important. And I, I think I probably should start uh, with our board because our board is involved in our region in all kinds of different things. They bring different perspectives to the table and they're charged with charting our course, with developing the vision for the foundation on how we operate every day and, and how we're going to move into the future and change with time. And I will tell you, they just do a terrific job. We put a lot of thought and effort into selecting our board and then training our board. It's they have to go through board training as a lot of work. They have quizzes. <laughs> um, we, we do all kinds of things so that they understand, first of all, the power and importance of philanthropy, the way that a community foundation works, the things, uh, for example, our regional nature that makes East Tennessee Foundation special among community foundations and their important role as stewards of $500 million. So that, that's a big load. 
but they do a really terrific job. So our board is broadly representative geographically of all 25 counties that we serve. So lots of them, it's a big time commitment. They have to come to Knoxville for meetings. Um, They serve on committees. They serve on grants panels. But they've been chosen to be on our board because they are very involved in their communities and they bring that knowledge to the table and help chart the vision and chart the course for the foundation. So our board is absolutely terrific. Our board has 100% trust in our staff. And I think that is absolutely vital to any organization, but especially to a community foundation and to a nonprofit. Our staff is present in board meetings. Our staff is encouraged to contact, to reach out, and to answer board members' questions directly. There's no uh, channeling of questions. Um, It's really important that our board know our staff by name and that they know what each person does, what their core function is. And we really try and facilitate that kind of open relationship. I can't say enough about our staff and and my team. We are a nonprofit in every sense of the word. And all of us here know that, that our fellow staff members could be earning more Uh, in terms of compensation at another uh, for-profit entity and possibly earning more at at another nonprofit entity. But there is something about our core mission of going to work every day and having as our singular mission to make life better for people in East Tennessee, people whom we may never meet. There is something so compelling about that that every member of our team has made some kind of personal sacrifice or some kind of personal arrangement that allows them to come here and be part of our team and be part of that important work. And that serves as almost as a glue sort of that that holds us together. It's a family. And and it enables us to weather economic Uh, upturns and downturns, whether changes in tax legislation, all kinds of things, that cohesiveness, I think, holds us together. And as a result, our board and our staff, they have 100% trust in one another. And I I just think that that is absolutely vital and terrific. Purpose-filled work. Right. Yeah. And wouldn't every company want to have that kind of, and then that's a culture thing. It really is. Mike, as a generation, I think the millennials are the holy grail these days in the consumer pipeline. Everyone knows that regardless of what business you're in or what kind of organization you have, whether it's nonprofit or what have you, it's going to be essential to build relationships with the up and coming generation and fully engage them. You know, and let's face it, the oldest of the millennial cohort, they aren't exactly spring chickens these days. I mean, they're no. kind of hitting the, you know, the 40 age range. And I mean, I, I think the full age range in 2019 is tw- uh, 23 to 38. I think that's according to Pew Research. But statistics show 
that millennials are actually very philanthropically engaged as a generation and are more likely to give than other generations. So my question is, what is ETF doing or what are some things that you're you know, hoping to continue doing or looking to expand that outreach to millennials? Well, first of all, let, let me just say, I think millennials are, are broadly representative of people in general. Mm-hmm. And if we are able to tell a story of changed lives where somehow philanthropy has transformed someone's life, it's going to reach a millennial just like it would a baby boomer. You know, mm-hmm. I think I'm considered the last year of the baby boomers or the first year of millennials, or maybe I'm somewhere lost in between. So I'll speak for myself, but often philanthropic decisions are are at first led by your heart. Mm -hmm. What is different, we think, with millennials is that they also apply their head. They also apply Mm -hmm. their knowledge to that equation. And so we need to be prepared to show them that their philanthropic gift, how it's made a difference, and show them a measurable, if possible, a quantifiable result. Mm -hmm. And so there is a big movement among all charities, certainly, um, but among community foundations, especially, to, to be able to bring those two together. So the emotional side, and then sort of the qualitative and quantitative side as well, and show them that committing time, committing effort, committing resources, to philanthropy is a worthy endeavor. And that just like any other area in their lives where they have an accountant perhaps, or they have a lawyer perhaps, it is appropriate to get good advice in the philanthropic area as well, if you wanna make a difference. So Mike, one of Fletcher PR's core areas of expertise is marketing to women. That is how we have built our business. And that's really how we get most of our national business. And I've read a lot about women in philanthropy and women in giving and how we drive philanthropy decisions, probably to a point that maybe most people don't realize. I'm just wondering what your observations are about the role women play in philanthropic decisions and within families as part of a couple or as individual donors in their own right. Well, I think traditionally philanthropic decisions have been in families, certainly, and extended families have been led by women. I think that role is ever increasing. What is interesting now is that statistics show that also financial decisions Mm -hmm. are being shouldered by women as well. And I think it's terrific that the two are coming together. I think women are more likely than men, and I think studies would reflect this, to ask for expertise or to ask for help so that they make wise decisions, we welcome that. And I think it makes that entire philanthropic equation better. It makes it more efficient uh, and it makes it better able to change more lives. So we do a variety of things to reach women um, and to reach professional advisors that women might um, be having help them make financial decisions. 
I do have one last question before we wrap up. Since we have a growing range of listeners nationwide and even overseas at this point, what is one universal message that you would want our audience to know about the power of philanthropy, power of charitable giving, particularly when it comes to building and sustaining meaningful community relationships? I love that question because my answer is probably going to be a little counterintuitive. We generally think of philanthropy as a donor taking their resources and working and choosing a charity and making a gift and and the end result hoping to improve someone's life. But what I'm going to challenge your listeners to do is the reverse of that. And that's for that donor to open themselves up to the possibility that being philanthropic and making a gift and giving of themselves will indeed change their life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I think the real benefit can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're transforming someone's life on the receiving end, but at the same time, equally as important, perhaps more important, you're transforming the life on the person who is the giver as well. Mm -hmm. And this is such important work, and we can't thank you enough for everything East Tennessee Foundation does for our community, Mike. And to our listeners, please be sure to follow East Tennessee Foundation on Twitter at ET Foundation or go to their website at easttennesseefoundation.org. And please follow us as well at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also follow me at KD Fletcher and Mary Beth at Mary Beth West. Yeah, we will respond to your questions and comments, so please post them using the hashtag MsInterpreted, and that's hashtag MsInterpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on MsInterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.